0: burdens down, to just uh, give them to you in mighty and powerful ways. Thank you that you meet us wherever we are. And just uh, there's no, nothing that we bring to you that's too big or too inconvenient. And Father, we just pray today that as we just continue to share time together out of your word, that you would just uh, meet us again in the midst of that and help us to grow from this place moving forward. Uh, Father, thank you for this church. Thank you for our time of worship. Thank you for the reminder that I know I need, uh, that sometimes you're not exactly where you need to be, that, that the world, the troubles, the difficulties, our schedules, whatever it might be, can often just take your place. And we just pray that today we would have a moment of reprieve in your presence, that you would do your transforming work in us and through us. And God, that you would just help us to become who you've called us to be. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the blood. We thank you that we get to share. In sacrifice and follow his example, and we pray this all in his name. And the church together says, "Amen." Where it's a wonderful thing just to be prayed over sometimes, uh, and just kind of say, "Hey, I'm I'm just feeling this or having that," and not having to come up with the words, just asking somebody else to to do that for you. So, uh, Tanner and Amy, thank you for just your prayer this morning uh, for me. That was that was meaningful in a great way. Uh, we're talking about Hebrews, and we're going to kind of continue on, but I want to start sort of uh, maybe uh, with, with some semi-personal things today. Uh, what are the rules in your house, or what were the rules in your home growing up? We, we had a few really cool rules, or really weird rules maybe. Uh, my mom was uh, one who would cook probably three, four, five times a week, and so you had to eat at least some of everything that she made. You guys ever have this rule? We call them no thank you helpings. So if you didn't like peas, you had to have a no thank you helping, and you had to eat them because mom had made them, and we didn't want to create this environment of just of diso- That quick? You're leaving already? <laughs> wow. That was like two minutes. No, I'm just kidding. You go ahead. You go ahead. You go ahead. Um, but uh, anybody else want to leave? <laughs> okay. Yeah, there you go. Um, but we had some rules, like the no thank you helpings. You had to eat a little bit of something. Another rule that we had in our house growing up was we had a water jug that we kept in the fridge. And whoever drank the last bit of water had to do what? Had to fill it up. So there was always like one mouthful of water in that bottle because you know, y- this is what we do, right? I didn't finish it. There's still some in there. And so that was always a source of frustration. Um, in our house now, we have, we have a few rules. Uh, one of those rules is no phones at the dinner table. Okay, so Haley and I are the only ones that have phones, so we're not allowed to have those at the dinner table. Uh, that's not allowed. We're also not allowed to um, make any funny noises at the dinner table, although all my girls violate that rule often. I'm just going to tell you. Um, another one is if it's the summertime, you have to wash your hair. Everybody has to wash their hair every single day. Uh, that's a kind of a rule in our house. And I know some of you, if, if you want to really get under Haley's skin, just bring that oily scalp and just talk to her, and she'll come home and go, oh, my goodness, I was talking to so-and-so today, and uh, I don't know that I can be friends with them anymore <laughs> because of this. What, what are some of the rules you grew up with? What, what are some rules in your house? So, so just call out some of the rules you guys have. Yeah, if you're not in the room, turn off the lights, right? That's, that's, that, that's huge. You still do that, right? Okay. What, what other ones? Rinse off the sink. Oh, we have a child that, yeah. Okay, rinse off the sink after you brush your teeth. There was another one over here. Somewhere. Put the toilet seat down. <laughs> yeah. Make sure the doors are locked before you go to bed. Yeah, we all have these little rules that kind of, kind of govern our life. And if you if you uh, if you think about them, you have to sort of ask yourself the question at some point: What is the purpose of the rules? Like, why, why do we do these things? What is there, there is purpose behind these things, and why are we engaged in these things? You can go to the next slide, Shauna. I know you hate it when I call you out, but there you go. Got to pay attention. Okay. Um, what is the purpose of the rules? Okay. The purpose of the rules is how we live in relationship with others. So if you do not, if you do not clean out the sink after brushing your teeth, your mother is going to lose her mind. And we don't want that to happen So rinse out the sink for goodness sake, right? Uh, But there are other rules in our world that we kind of do that to say this is how we live in relationship with each other people. Rules are also about creating boundaries in those relationships. Believe it or not, when we are in relationship with our spouse or our kids or our friends or our family, there need to be different boundaries with different relationships. And rules help us to know where those horizons are or where those boundaries are. In fact, the worst thing you can do in your life is live your life with no boundaries. uh, Live your life with no sense of accountability or reason or rules in your life. There needs to be boundaries. Now, we don't like every single boundary. We don't want to do everything that we're supposed to do, but it's important for us to have that. If you do any kind of reading about civil things or things that happen in your community, there's a thing called the rule of law. And I kind of looked this up this week. The rule of law, I think we often think that you actually break the law, and that's not actually true. You, you, you can't actually break uh, an inanimate, you know, this inanimate ruling on certain things. But how we interact relationally with people is what the rule of law is. The rule of law is a set of principles that hel- help us interact relationally with other people. And they're kind of things we should do, and then there's things that we shouldn't do. And just a reminder that you can only break the law through relationship. You can only violate, when you violate another person, that's where, that's where the, the law or the rules have been broken. Now, what we see, when we're talking about the book of Hebrews, we know that this is written to Jewish people who have accepted Christ. And most of them are living in Jerusalem. The temple of Jerusalem is destroyed In about 70 AD, the book of Hebrews is written about 63 or 64. So they don't know that that's coming. The Romans eventually just destroy the temple, burn everything to the ground, and basically send everybody away. But they're still living in this time where they are under Roman occupation, but they have the temple, but they do believe in Jesus. And it's kind of all confusing, and they're not quite sure what the rules are anymore. If you remember correctly, when God leads the Israelites out of Egypt, And makes them into a nation. He takes them to Mount Sinai. After they've crossed the Red Sea, killed all the Egyptians, he takes them to Mount Sinai. And the cloud covers the top of the mountain. And they hear this booming voice. If you read Exodus, uh, the book of Exodus, Exodus 20, you see one of the places where the Ten Commandments are given. If you remember the story, God starts bellowing this voice. With these first ten laws or ten rules, the people say, hey, we, we can't hear this anymore. I'll tell you what, Moses, why don't you go up onto the mountain and get it from God, and then we'll just accept that as our, our rule and as our law. Now, God is not punishing them at Mount Sinai. But remember, they have been slaves for so long that they don't actually know what it means to be a free people. I'll give you an example. There's no room to be, to be sick if you're a slave. You don't get days off. You don't get vacation days. They don't really know how to interact with God because they were told, you have to worship our gods. And so God takes them there, and he starts with these 10. Of course, he gives them over 600 laws in total. But he, he starts with these 10. And these 10, if you notice, have everything to do with relationship. The first one, it says, God speaks these words. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, Right? You shall have no other gods before me. That's relationship. How you interact with him as God is a relational quality. It's not just, it's not just a rule that says, hey, I'm the guy, and you need to, okay. Okay. But, but he's saying you should have no other gods. It should be just me. You, you shouldn't make yourself an idol or any kind of image formed out of anything on the earth because nothing on the earth can compare to me. That's why God says no idols. Not because he's scared people are going to bow. He's saying, I am the creator of all things. You can't cut down a tree and make it into something. That, that would be good. You should not bow down and worship something because I am the Lord your God. He says, you should not misuse the Lord's name. You shouldn't use my name in vain. Don't use it flippantly. When you say my name, it should be reverent or worshipful or prayerful. Don't just use it like uh, you know, a punchline. Now, I know a lot, of, a lot of people do this all day, and we think that's what it means. What it's really saying is, is that you're not giving God his rightful place. Then he talks about the Sabbath, which is also relational. Hey, I'm going to give you a day off, and that day is for worship, for you to renew your relationship with me and renew your relationship with each other. Honor your parents. Don't lie, don't cheat, don't steal, don't kill each other. These are all relational qualities. Laws are about relational boundaries. That's that's why God shares these things. He's saying, this is how you live with each other. If you don't lie to each other and you have a culture of honor and sharing and you, you know, don't kill each other and you don't steal each other's spouses and y- your life's going to go so much better, you're going to have good relationships with me and ultimately with each other. Now, if you read the rest of the Old Testament, you're going to see very quickly that something unfortunate happens. Laws start to become a policing system rather than a relational one. So now we've written down all the boundaries, and every time you go outside the lines, we put an X next to your name. And that was never the intention of why God gave that to them. God gave them the law so that they could have better relationships, but the laws did not lead them to greater relationship with God and each other. He wasn't trying to punish them. He was actually trying to help them. If you've ever come to any kind of counseling with me, whether it be premarital, postmarital, maybe something in your job or other things, I will often say some things that you don't want to hear. That's why you're there. And I'm not doing it to be mean. I'm doing it to say, stay away from this. Don't do this. Take your time here. This, trying to provide some guidance and some boundary. And if you violate those, it generally violates what you're, what you're struggling with. It'll violate your marriage or your job or something else. Not because I do all these things perfectly. Please don't misunderstand me. But laws and boundaries are, are given in love because we want, I want you to have a good relationship with God. I want you to have a good relationship with the people that are in your circle. And what we see happening in the Old Testament is that they had the temple and they had the priests and they had all these things. And instead of actually having a high priest, it became the high police. Th- that's what happened. Instead of it being a moment where a priest who is an intercessor between God and people, which is what the Jews needed at that time, they needed the go-between. Moses was kind of one of those people. We see when the the priesthood is established with Aaron and with others, they were go-betweens. They would come back. It's the same thing that prophets would do. They would come back and say, hey, God has a word for you, and you need to obey this. And nine times out of ten, they would violate it. But it ended up becoming a policing system when Jesus is born onto the scene and he goes to Jerusalem. What he sees astounds him and frustrates him. Remember what he says? This is meant to be a house of prayer, praise. You've just turned it into a den. A den of robbers or thieves. You're not allowing God... To be powerful and mighty, you're keeping God away from people. Part of the reason why this process happens is because laws in and of themselves are imperfect. I know we don't think that. This is why laws have amendments. Because we're saying there's some imperfection in this and there's some exception in this. And that helps us. Okay, why why, why am I telling you all this today? Um, Because Hebrews addresses this idea uh, in Hebrews chapter 7, beginning in verse 11. Is that right? Yeah, okay. We're going to be introduced to this character named Melchizedek here in a minute. but here's a little bit of background. The writer of Hebrews is telling these people who are listening to this. It says, "If perfection could have been attained through the Levitical priesthood, and indeed the law was given to people to establish that priesthood, why was there still need for another priest to come, one in the order of Melchizedek and not in the order of Aaron? Now let me tell you the difference between these two. If you go back and you read Genesis, I believe it's Genesis chapter 6, you'll see there's a story about this guy named Melchizedek. Now he's not a Jew, but Abraham in uh, Genesis 6 gives him a tithe and an offering and blesses him because he fills a very unique role. He is the king and the high priest, okay? So he's filling this dual role, and he happens to be an amazing person. Now, the only other person who ever says that they're going to try to fill that role is God with the Israelites. I will be your king. I will be your mediator. You won't have to have anything But eventually they don't like that, they want a king, things go bad, God gives them a king, God gives them a temple, God gives them all the things that they ask for, and it doesn't go well. It doesn't help them in their relationship to God. But there was this guy named Melchizedek. And what they're saying, you've got some Jews that are living in Jerusalem, that Jesus has come, but the oppression has not ended. They still feel like slaves. And so they're looking at the temple, and they're saying, Why don't we just go back to that? Why don't we just get us a new priest, a new high priest who can come in here. I mean, we believe in Jesus, but it hasn't really changed anything. So let's go back to this old system and kind of reinstitute that. And let's see if that goes any better than where we are are now. Verse 12, for when the priesthood is changed, the law must be changed also he of whom things are said belong to a different tribe and not from the tribe that's ever served at the altar. Only Levites could serve at the altar. For it is clear that our Lord descended from Judah and in regard to that tribe, Moses said nothing about priests. And what we have said is even more clear if a, another priest like Melchizedek appears. One who has become a priest not on the basis of a regulation as to their antres, uh, ancestry, but on the basis of the power of an indestructible life, for it is declared you are a priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. The former regulation is set aside because it was weak and useless, for the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we draw near to God. Now, this is a bit of a smackdown right here, because what, wh- what the writer is saying or channeling from what God is sharing is that there's this guy Melchizedek, and his name literally means king. Zedek means king. So he is a righteous king. He's also known as the king of Salem. Now, Salem is tied to the old Jewish word shalom, which means peace. The, the town Jerusalem is the town of peace. That's what it's meant to mean, yet they're always fighting about everything. But he was the king of righteousness. He was the king of peace, and he was also a high priest. What what the writer of Hebrews is saying is someone like that is coming. And if we look at someone, say, like Jesus, Jesus is the king of righteousness. He's also come to make peace between us and God, and he's going to serve as a high priest not like the ones that they had in the temple, but one that God is sending from a new place. Do you remember when Jesus is being baptized early in the Gospels and he goes to John and he says, I need to be baptized. And John argues with him. No, I need to be baptized by you. You remember the story. Jesus says to him, it is good for me to do this to fulfill all righteousness. He is claiming that role. He is going to be the righteous king. Look, there's other kings that have been very good, but none of them have actually been righteous. Not like this guy from Genesis 6, and we don't see it again until the beginning of the New Testament. What the writer is telling us in Hebrews is that there is going to be a covenant shift. Because he says, the old law couldn't bring us to perfection. It couldn't do it. It couldn't get us there. So let's continue on here a little bit. Hopefully this will make sense in just a moment. In Hebrews 7, uh, in Hebrews 8, sorry, uh, beginning in verse 7. It says, for if there had been nothing wrong with the first covenant, talking about the law, no place would have been sought for another. But God found fault in his people and said, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and led them out of Egypt. Because they did not remain faithful to my covenant. And I I turned away from them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. For I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete and what and what is obsolete is outdated and will soon disappear now the funny thing about it is if you go and you read scripture we obey really all of the ten commandments the only one that maybe is a bit iffy is the sabbath but we still do a version of that today so it's not like we're we're changing and now it's okay to kill people and do whatever you want but he's saying something new is coming there is going to be a shift in the rule of law, the way that God interacts with his people. He tried to give them 600 rules, and they couldn't do anything with that. All they ended up doing was harming each other in the midst of it and staying far away from God. So he says, I need to come, and I need to do something something new and something different. What he says in this text is laws are no longer going to be written. They're going to be embodied. They're going to be written on hearts. It's not about us breaking out the scroll and saying, which ones did I fail at today? It's about about assessing, where is my relationship with God? How am I embodying the story of Jesus? How am I doing something different in my life? And this is a shift that I think every single one of us needs to make in our life and in our faith. When we grow up with our kids, we're teaching them, these are the rules. But that in and of itself does not make them good people. It makes them know where the boundaries are, but the relationship that I have with my kids is far bigger than the rules that I tell them. When I look at my child and say, the reason why we rinse the sink out after we brush our teeth is easy, because you're not the only person living in this house, because mommy and daddy do a lot of the cleaning here, and when you're a pig, it makes it hard for us, okay? And it makes us upset. And it makes us love you less and want to give you away. <laughs> I mean, we don't say that, but we do say this. But there, there is a shift from a law-based life to a relationship-based life. And, and it happens quietly. But even in our faith, this is something that takes place as well. See, one of the problems that we have and the reason why this matters, the reason why talking about covenants and talking about this shift, the shift, the, the, the law was meant to help people live in, in community with each other, but it didn't quite get them there. And so Jesus has to kind of get even closer than God got on the mountain and say, this is how you relate to people. This is how we do it. And we do it sacrificially. If you want to be in covenant with someone, you're going sacri- to give up something." And these Jews that are living in Jerusalem that have now become Christians and accepted Christ, they're constantly looking at the past. And one of the lessons in the midst of this, this is what I want you to hear today. We need to stop looking back. We we are so good at looking back and saying, you know, this is where I want to be. I've heard this the whole time. You all have. In the last two years, people have always said this. When are things going to get back to normal? Well, what was normal? Was normal good? Was it positive? Was it just easy and convenient? Because I think there are some things that were just that way. But so often in life, instead of moving forward or moving through something, when we come to some obstacle in our lives, our first instinct is to do this and say, well, maybe if I just take four or five steps back and turn around, then maybe it'll be better over here. And is it ever better? (laughs) Let's just pretend like this didn't happen. But it did happen. Part of this, if ever you do any kind of, if you ever read any books about, about marriage or, or being together as a married couple, the one thing that we have struggles with is every single one of us have inner vows. And they're not all bad, but some of us grew up maybe in homes where these were the rules. And so me not washing the toothpaste out of the sink is an act of, like, I promised I would never do that because I had to do it my whole life, or something like that. And it can be something that silly. We were never allowed to drink Cokes, and now we drink Coke all the time, okay? Whatever it might be, we make these vows. Uh, I will never let somebody treat me this I will never allow this. Uh, we create all these boundaries for ourselves, but the only person we end up imprisoning is who? Us. And that's what these people in the story have done. And the writer of Hebrews is trying to say, stop going back because what what was before was imperfect. You've got to step to something new and the person that's leading us to these new things, it's going to be different and it's going to be hard and it's going to push us and challenge us but it's where God is and if you want to be in relationship with God you've got to get rid of this mindset of all all this rules based with God. If you think every day, I had a rough week, I sinned a lot, maybe God doesn't love me You're on the wrong side of the covenant. And Jesus, who has paid the price for sin, who has given us righteousness, not because we deserve it, but because it's a gift that he wants relationship with. If all you came today, if you sang the songs and halfway through the songs, which sometimes happens, you're like, I don't even know what these words mean. But I'm just trying to be here and I'm just trying to be be a part of this. God will meet you there. It's not about how good you are, which I think sometimes we think, look, we we need to try. But it's not about how good you are before God can love you and accept you. If our faith is only about the boundaries, then we've missed out on the desired relationship that God wants to have with us. If you take your faith and you just think, well, I I didn't break too many rules this week. God is waiting to meet us in in the midst of these places and say stop being so hard on yourself stop acting like like you don't understand this if you read the book of hebrews you learn that slaves survive because of rules but children thrive on relationships if all if all our homes are is don't do this and do this, and don't do this, and do this, which sometimes we do with our faith. We're missing what God desires for us. So I want to encourage us today. I'm going to ask in a minute, Michael, Judy, you guys could be up here again, and Tanner and Amy, if you guys could come back up here again. Because I think people need a moment to lay the past down. And I'm not talking about your sins, although you can do that too. I'm not talking about your struggles. I'm talking about a mindset of new covenant. Covenant is a big deal. It's not about you being perfect or good enough. And maybe sometimes the first step is, God, help me see who you are rather than just the rules. And maybe you need somebody to just pray over you because you can't quite say that yourself. But I don't want you to miss what God is saying to each of us. You're good enough. You're valuable enough. Yes, you struggle. Yes, you're going to come back next week and your list will be even longer than it was this week. And that's okay. Because I am the king of righteousness you don't have to be. I am the high priest. You don't need to do it so well. You can come to me and I'll, I'll do it for you. I'll help you along the road. If you do not live in a place of peace in your life, if you don't live in your own Jerusalem, in a place of peace, if your life is filled with anxiety and tension and difficulty and struggle and fighting and bitterness and animosity and difficulty, you're not living in the city of God. You're living in your own city. Because Jesus is the king of peace. You want to know if you're following Jesus, how much peace do you have in your life? Not just when everything's going your way, but when nothing is going your way. That's when we live in the city of peace. The sad part of this story, the ending, is that about seven years later, the Romans will burn the temple down. And that really is the moment when the Jews finally understand, the Jewish Christians finally understand that God doesn't live in a building. That God lives here and that's where everything's written. That's where everything matters. And God is not the one who is slow (laughs) with covenant. We are, mostly because we don't like commitment. We don't like accountability. We don't like these things. And yet God says, this is where I reside. This is where you will find peace. This is where you will come into contact with righteousness. And it will change everything. It will take the imperfection and it will make them perfect. I'm sorry I went long today. I really do apologize. But sometimes it just takes a minute to say something. And I hope you hear them today. So. Connor, uh, and Amy, Mike and Judy. I called them Tammy and Moody in our in our thing. <laughs> I, I just want to say a quick prayer for us, and then you guys can come on up and we'll we'll sing a song. Uh, give you time to respond. If you need if you need something, just don't don't leave holding on to the past. Don't leave holding on to something that doesn't matter. Just give it to them. Father. Today, I just pray that you would take our lives, our hearts, our our wills, our stories, and that you would embrace them and change them and make them into something powerful. Father, may we just hear your calling that we don't have to be good enough or great enough or do all the right things in the right ways. that sometimes we struggle as parents and we think we're ruining our kids, but God, we're just trying to love our kids, even though we do that imperfectly. Father, in our marriages, in our relationships, would would we stop being so rule-focused? And may we we see the other person with value and power. May we long for relationship with them, relationship with you. Father, whatever we need to lay down today, I just pray uh, that you would have power, that you would be able to break through the noise, break through the walls, break through the obstinance in our hearts, and allow us to find something powerful and meaningful and good in the midst of all things. God, I pray that today, maybe somebody's never walked down the front and said, hey, I I just want somebody to pray for me. Maybe as they walk, they would just feel lighter, that they would feel the burden coming off their shoulders about all the things that maybe they believe that are false. God, may they leave today seeing your face and knowing that you are doing mighty things in their lives. Bless us as we pray. Bless us as we sing. Bless us as we proclaim all the mighty things that you are able to do. We pray this all through Jesus and the church together says amen. Let's stand together.